Let's turn our attention now uh, to the text of Scripture. I want to ask you to grab a Bible with me to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. It is found on page 1. And please pray with me. Lord God, you are a great and mighty God and worthy of our praise. Your majesty is displayed in all kinds of ways throughout our existence. And as we see today, that it is displayed in your creation. I pray, God, that you would help us to have an increased sense of that majesty. That as we read Genesis chapter 1 and explore it together, that we can see you more fully for who you are. And that we can rightly respond to you, orienting our lives, uh, not only to your person and to your attributes, but also to your agenda. We pray these things together in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Questions about the origins of earth and even the origins of humanity have been of great interest to humankind throughout history. And it's natural for us to want to know where we came from. It's natural for us to want to know our origins because it helps us order our reality. It helps us understand our social dynamics and it helps us clarify our purpose in this life. Throughout history, there have been many different creation myths along the way and many different stories that people have put forward to try to explain who we are and who we came from. Uh, I want to highlight just a few by way of contrast. According to the ancient Babylonians, a great battle of their gods existed in which the goddess Tiamat warred against her rebelling children. Some of you today feel like you're warring against your rebelling children. The young god Marduk eventually conquered Tiamat and her defenders. She killed the goddess, and from her eyes flowed the rivers of Tigris and Euphrates. Her corpse was then used to create the earth by this young god Marduk. The ancient Hindus believed that out of the navel of their god, Vishnu, sprung a beautiful lotus flower. And in the center of this flower grew the god Brahma, who awaited the command of his master. And upon the command, it is time. Create the earth. Brahma went to work. And as you stop and you consider the visual for that story, this most certainly gives us a new appreciation for the term navel-gazing. Much later in history, the Taoist monks propagated a creation story of Panku. Panku hatched from a cosmic egg. Half of the shell grew above him, and that formed the sky. The other half grew below him, and that formed the land. And for 18,000 years, Panku grew every single day until the sky entered into its proper place and the land entered into its proper place. His body, however, could not keep up with the growth. And after all of these efforts, it fell to pieces. His limbs became the mountains, his blood the rivers, the wind was formed from his breath, and the thunder was formed from his voice. His two eyes became the sun and the moon, and the parasites on his body became humankind. As we've 
progressed into the scientific age, there's been many theories that have been put forward about how creation happened. There's the theory of panspermia, which means that the life exists as a result of asteroids and planetoids moving through the universe that carry different forms of life. And as those asteroids and planetoids reach different environments in which life can grow, the ideal conditions are found and life evolves from there. There's theories of endosymbiosis and spontaneous generation and clay theory, which points to the idea of complex organic molecules arising gradually and pre-existing non-organic molecules until they reach enough pressure in their existence where there's a launch mode and evolution occurs from there. The most dominant scientific theory of our day, of course, is called organic evolution or Darwinian evolution that theorized that Earth evolved from small cells that continued to diversify over the course of three and a half billion years until we have reached our current state as humans. There's no unified part of the theory, however, that explains what we will turn into next. So how did we get here? Is there any purpose to it all? What do you make of the current state of the world with all of its advancements that we enjoy and all of its increasing troubles that we experience? There's one account of creation that answers those questions and many more. It is an account that has stood the test of time and despite its continued challenges and the ongoing dialogue of how it can be reconciled with legitimate scientific discovery, it remains a place to turn. It is the account that God presents of his own work in the Bible. Today we start a new series throughout the course of this fall called Is It Beyond Repair? And over the next few months we're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 1 through 11 together. And we're not going to just look at creation, but we also will look at what happened. What happened after that? How do we find ourselves in this place that we're at? Why do we struggle with the things that we do? Why is life so hard sometimes? What does it mean for our relationship with God? And how and where do we find hope for our future? How did we get here? To take a look, let's turn our attention to Genesis chapter 1. And please follow along as I read it for us. Now, as I read it, let me preface it with this way. It's it's a pretty lengthy chapter, so as we do sometimes when we have long sections of Scripture, I want to ask you to exercise that mental staying power. Stay with it. Don't zone out halfway through. There's seven days of creation. We'll read all seven. Secondly, this part of Scripture in its original language is Hebrew poetry. And so you will see in it or hear in it some repetition that may be grating to your English ears. Didn't he just say that? Why is he saying it again? It's poetic in its nature. And so as we read, try to visualize with me. Try to see what God is doing. Try to imagine yourself there to smell, to hear, to observe the wondrous act of creation as it's presented. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening And there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit bearing trees. Uh, in which their seed, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for the signs, for the seasons, for the days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with the swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and the beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps along the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply 
and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening. And there was morning. The sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work and he had, that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. If there's one overarching theme that we see in Genesis chapter 1, it is this. God is a majestic creator who brings perfect order out of chaos. God is a majestic creator who brings perfect order out of chaos. As we look at chapter 1, we see here even more than the creation of the world. Genesis 1 tells us about the creator of the world, God himself. He is the subject. He's the main character. And the world is his object. And what we see through the many facets of this creation is that he is a majestic creator. And he brings perfect order out of chaos. That is displayed in a number of ways. It's first displayed in the act of his creation itself, through his creating work. If you look with me at the beginning of the chapter, we see that God creates by his word in concert with the work of his spirit. Throughout the first chapter, we see the reality that God is simply speaking and by his voice is bringing things into their existence. Verse 2 tells us that the earth was formless and void. And this formlessness, this void, is placed in direct contrast to a repeated phrase that is put forward throughout chapter 1, and that phrase is, God said. We see it in verse 3, in verse 6, in verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, 20, 24, and 26. There's formlessness and there's void, but God said. And it makes clear that he was completely self-generating. He was acting independently of any other in this creation. Now to create something from existing pieces or materials is impressive. I mean, when you think of the things that humans create, the most beautiful things to you, maybe it's a form of fine art, maybe it's a form of music, maybe it's a form of architecture. For me, one of my favorite things to enjoy in beauty, of course, cars. There are just certain cars that seem to increase in beauty even as they get older. Some of you are the most creative people I've ever met. 
The things that you can create when given a certain amount of material is impressive. It, ma- it makes the rest of us sort of stand back and say, wow, that is amazing. And in that, we see that we are reflecting God who is our creator. But there's a difference between what we do and what he does. Because everything that we create has a baseline of materials that we have to use. But to create something out of nothing, simply by the power of words, this is an ability that no created being has. It only comes from one who is independent of outside influence. This type of power only comes from one that has true sovereignty to do what he wants, how he wants, and when he wants. And we see in verse 2 that as he is creating, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was present in this act of creation. Furthermore, we learn in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, that Jesus himself is also present and active in this work of creation. So the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, of one eternal essence, but three persons, all participating in the striking act of taking what was formless and void and designing it and constructing it and giving substance to something where there was nothing. Another important component of God's creating act is that he is bringing order out of chaos. I wonder how many of you feel like, as you look at the world around you, you might feel like this world is spinning out of control. You might feel like we currently live in a time of chaos. I mean, the European Union is falling apart. There was a hurricane last week along the eastern seaboard. There's war in the Middle East still. We have one of the most contentious elections in recent history knocking on our doorstep. I know people whose marriages are falling apart, who've lost their jobs. And there's a number of good things that are happening. Life is moving fast. Kids are back to school. Programs are firing up again. Life is spinning, spinning, spinning. And it feels at times like chaos to us. But what we see here is that God is actually a God of order, not a God of chaos. Now, true chaos existed in the cosmos before the world began, and God's creation displays his propensity for order. Now, at this point, we could go one of two ways in our exploration. We could look at each day of creation, and we could try to answer all of the really hard questions that we have Are these six literal days, or do the days represent an age? Or is there a gap in the middle somewhere? We know that microevolution exists within specific species, but what about evolution from one species to another? How does the idea of intelligent design that we see here in Genesis chapter 1, how does that stand up in the current uh, scientific arena? The questions go on, so on, so on, and so on. There's plenty that you can read on all of these subjects. And if you have questions about those things, we'd be happy to commend a number of works to you or a number of people for you to talk to. 
including ourselves. But there's another way to take this or to explore it together. And that is, being that the Bible is God's word, his revelation of himself, I'm choosing to take it on its own terms this morning. And what we see here is that when we take this account on its own terms, the creation account tells us just as much, or even more about the creator than it does the different nuances of how he created. One of the things we see is that he creates order out of chaos. Look with me at days one through three. We can divide the creation into these two sort of parts, can't we? Days one through three, we see form. Days three through six, we see fullness. He creates form in days one through three as he divides light from darkness, sea from sky, and he creates a fertile earth. Progressing forward to days four through six, we see how they match up with one through three as he fills those days or as he provides fullness to the form. Corresponding with day one, day four, he gives lights of day and night, the sun and the moon and the stars. Day five corresponds with day two, creatures of the water and the air to fill the sea and the skies. And day six certainly corresponds with day three, creatures of the land to fill the earth. Now there's order involved here. And this combination of order and the sovereign work that we see in his creation points us to an idea that we need to latch on to. And that is, if everything was made by him, then surely everything is controlled by him. And you know what that means for us? What that means is that even when we see a world that we feel like is spinning out of control, there is nothing that is beyond his view, his allowance, or even his participation. In my wildest seasons of life, I can still go to bed at night knowing that my ultimate safety is not found in what I temporarily experienced as chaos in that given day, or even over the course of weeks or months. But in reality, safety is found in the relationship with the one who allows those experiences to happen. God himself. He's a majestic creator who brings about perfect order in the midst of chaos. The second thing that we see along those very same lines is that this creation reflects something about who God is. It reflects a number of things, actually. The first thing that it reflects is that we see in creation a reflection of God's glory. Consider with me the most beautiful parts of this creation that you enjoy. For me, it is the mountains, the incredible mountains. For some of you, it's the expanse of the ocean. For some of us, it's the complex beauty of a flower or maybe the simple, soft breeze on your face. It's no wonder that Romans chapter 1, 19 and 20 says, for what can be known about God is plain to people because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he's made. So they are without excuse. When you consider the majestic nature of an eagle taking flight 
or the intricacies of the animal kingdom as animals from different species uniquely rely upon each other in ways that we're still trying to figure out. When you consider the curious nature of a shooting star at night or that dreamy thought that comes to your mind as you see clouds move across the sky, we can certainly see God's glory in these things. And this is why King David wrote in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. In fact, as Jesus, God's own son, entered the world, and some would recognize him and many failed to do so, of course, was, of course creation was going to point to his glory. I mean, how could it not? It was for him that this was all created. And so we see in Luke chapter 19 that Jesus is approaching the Mount of Olives and the people are gathering around and some recognize who he is and they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus answers, I tell you the truth. Even if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Because creation points to the glory of God. And eventually when Jesus is crucified on the cross, just days following, you remember what happened? Upon his crucifixion, the sky turned black. The earth began to shake. Creation itself, recognizing the terrible and glorious nature of this sacrifice. God's own creation could do nothing else but reflect his glory in that moment. Creation reflects something about God. It displays his glory. It also displays his goodness. Did you notice, I'm sure you did, how after every day God creates something, he looks at what he says and he says, it was good. This happens because the one who created himself, created these things himself is good. I mean, friends, we worship a good God. And it's important to be reminded of that because we live in a world now that is saying constantly when anything goes wrong, well, clearly God must not be good. Or when circumstances don't line up according to my plan or timing or agenda, well, God must not be good. Or maybe there's other people or priorities or activities in this life that are being put forward in your mind as something that might even be better than God. But we worship a good God, and creation points us to this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's to be received with thanksgiving. For it was made holy by the word of God and prayer. Psalm 100, verses 3 to 5 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Creation not only reflects the glory of God, but also the goodness of God. And creation also shows us something 
about how God works. We see that God reveals himself by his word. From the very beginning of time, God starts a pattern that he has not abandoned. He speaks and things come into existence. And by the words that come out of him and the action that proceeds from them, he reveals who he is. He reveals himself by his word. As time would march on, we would see that he would give his law. He would speak and it would become law for the people of Israel. And even became written down so that they would know who he is and how he works and how they are to respond to him. As time continued to march on, we would see that God would empower unique people to be prophets, to speak, to be a mouthpiece for him to his people, to give them his word for a specific season and a specific purpose God reveals by his word. And then came along his son, Jesus, fully God and fully man, one who was called the word made flesh and who would ultimately give the greatest revelation of God the Father himself. God reveals through his word. And in an ongoing sense, we see that through his written word, the Bible, from way long ago, all the way through the time of Jesus into the early New Testament time, that God revealed who he was for people of all time. And he still speaks and reveals through his word. So God's creation reflects something about him. It reflects his glory. It reflects his goodness. And it reflects to his revealing acts through his word. Broadly speaking, we would categorize that by saying he is a majestic creator who brings perfect order out of chaos. The third thing that we catch a glimpse of, just a glimpse of, that we'll come back to, is that God has a purpose for this creation. And by extension, he has a purpose for you. Two pieces of the account bring this to its conclusion. Look with me at verse 26. We see that in all the things that God says and does, he says that they're good. But there's a crowning achievement. Day one is good. Day two is good. Day three is good. Day four is good. Day five is good. And we get to day six, starting at verse 26. And he says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock. And over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And it concludes in verse 31 that God takes a step back and he looks at his creation, everything that he has created, and behold, it was very good. <laughs> day one was good, day two was good, day three was good, four was good, five was good. But now that day six happened, now that he puts forward the crowning achievement of his creation, people, this went from good to very good. People were the purest form of an image bearer of God himself. And we'll come back to that unique position and purpose next week. But just know this. You are not created without purpose. Or to say it positively, you are created with a purpose. And that purpose is directly connected to the one who created you. 
We'll explore that in the weeks to come. Everything was good. And now everything is very good. And finally, we see chapter 2 finishes the sequence. Genesis 1 is poetic in its form, as I mentioned. There's symmetry there. It's intentional and poetic in its nature. And it's all leading to the pinnacle moment of day 7. God saw everything. It was very good. And on day 7, it says that he rested. And he blessed it. And he made it holy. He wasn't tired. God doesn't get tired. But we see that this is the pinnacle of the creation account. He takes up his rule and his reign among the wonderful things that he's created. You can imagine him in the garden among the wonderful animals that he's created and even with the wonderful people that he has created. Everything was good. And this rest would be a sign of an eternal rest that he has for his people. Nearness to him, freedom from oppression, godly rest. He's a majestic creator who brings perfect order out of chaos. Everything was the way it was supposed to be. Everything, and I mean everything, was good. At least for now. That's where we came from. That's who we came from. And next week we'll explore some of the implications of this good God creating his people and what it means for us. What's the response that we have out of Genesis chapter 1? It's very simply to step back and say, wow. The majestic nature of God to do things that we could never do, to experience things that we could never experience, to know what true goodness is that we have never experienced once in our lives. And so our worship team will come forward. And I want to ask you to pray with me as we continue to say, Lord God, you are a majestic king who's worthy of our praise. Father, we thank you in the midst of a life <laughs> and so many questions about our origins that you put forward for us where we came from and who we came from. Help us to orient accordingly to these things. Lord, that you are a great and mighty king, that you and your core are glorious and good, that you reveal yourself to your people, and that you are worthy of our praise. Amen and amen.